Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Dr. Stephen Furlich will join us to discuss sex talk. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, communication. It's difficult even at the best of times, but how do biological factors and gender underlie communication differences? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Stephen Furlich. Dr. Furlich is a seasoned communication expert with over two decades of university level teaching and research. His work has always delved beyond the ordinary to understand the essence of human interaction. He is currently a faculty at Texas AM University in Commerce, and he has penned the new book. Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. Dr. Furlich, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you, Dr. Lee. I'm excited to talk about the topics. Well, it is certainly our pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book. What got you interested in this and got you to put the book together? Yes. So I've taught a gender communication class for the last eight years. And when I first started to teach that particular class, there were books out there within our discipline and related types of disciplines as well that pretty much address gender communication as males and females communicate rather similarly. And whatever differences there are is pretty much entirely attributed to social learning types of factors such as family, schools, society, this, that, and the other. And it didn't really address biological factors. So one of the things that really sparked my interest was if I keep seeing over and over in research some of the same differences and themes between males and females where they communicate, perceive, and understand differently, then there must be some sort of biological factors or explanations as to why, because these are people from different backgrounds, different cultures, and even different time frames, different generations. So one of the things that I started to do in my class was look for research outside of communication studies that helps to further explain some of these biological differences, such as research in biology, neuroscience, psychology, and psychiatry. So one of the things that I cover in my book is how in our discipline, communication studies and other closely related disciplines such as gender studies has not adequately addressed gender communication itself. There's even been some peer review articles that have been published in gender studies that have been discredited. And I go through some of the details in chapter two. So in my book, I cover brain differences biological sex differences in brain, and then also sex hormones, how that influences communication differences. The history of this research has often ignored those variables, uh, sometimes to its peril, and what people think about gender differences in terms of communication and what the science is actually telling us. That's a good question. I think there is a huge gap between the two. So back in around 1990, Deborah Tannen published a book, and she basically addressed, yeah, there are some differences between males and females you know, various areas, communication, interests, that and the other, but she attributes everything 100% to social learning. But science has advanced 
far enough recently that that discredits that work, saying that's 100% social learning. So at conception, everyone pretty much starts off on a similar type of path of development, what we usually think of as developing into a female. But then after about four months after conception, that's when the sex hormones start to really differentiate between males and females. And it even influences structure of the brain differences in areas of communication. So now science has advanced far enough where you can analyze the human brain and with over 90% accuracy predict if it's a male or female. So after reading my book, people should be able to identify pretty easily five structural differences between a male brain and a female brain. And since all communication starts out in the brain, you can sort of understand why there are differences in emotions, the topics are communicated, words used, interests, and other areas as well. There's a difference in connectivity between different regions of the brains for male and females. And how does that then emerge as different communications that we see among genders? That, that's a good question. One of the good topics to address as well, that as far as I'm concerned, from what I've seen over and over, the consistency, that science has pretty much already settled that there are connection differences between the male brain and the female brain, that the male brain has many more connections within each hemisphere, and then the female brain has more connections across each hemisphere. One of the things that helps to indicate these differences in communication is it's been found for years and even decades that females are superior when it comes to nonverbal communication. So they empathize with other people better. They understand other people's nonverbal behaviors much better. And they also communicate their nonverbal behaviors much better than what males do as well. And there are several different biological reasons why. One is during social interactions, females have higher levels of oxytocin and that's a bonding chemical, so they feel more connection with the other person. And if you feel the bonding chemical increase, that connection to the other person, then you're going to have a similar, more similar type of emotional experience as the other person, empathize, understand them better non-verbally. But then also, they have more mirror neurons that are activated during social interactions, females do. And what those mirror neurons do is you see someone else's nonverbal behaviors, and then when your mirror neurons activate, it prepares your body to display those same nonverbal behaviors that you see in someone else. So if you're preparing your body to display those same nonverbal behaviors, then you experience a similar type of emotional experience as the other person. It helps you understand their emotional state, but then also that connectivity. So one of the things that really helps out with females and their nonverbal superior understanding is having more connections across both hemispheres. So this allows her to engage in the conversation at hand, but then also analyze the other person's nonverbal behaviors at the same time. And she also has more overall brain activation during social interactions. So the bottom line with that is that females often have a deeper understanding by reading into those subtle nonverbal behaviors that other people communicate, whereas males are more likely to have a more literal type of understanding, but more simplistic of what's being said and not take in or understand those subtle types of nonverbal behaviors as what females are much better equipped to do. Part of these differences also in the emotional response to language, and that also affects how communication occurs. Yes. Yeah, so there's been a number of different studies out there that have recognized emotional differences between males and females. One of the things during social interactions, it's been found that females have more activation in the emotional areas of the brain. 
And one particular study that really helps to solidify the biological underpins behind this is, is they found that they had two different groups. They had male groups, female groups. Both groups looked at subliminal faces of other people, and they were negative faces. And they found out that there was more brain activation in the emotional areas for females than it was for males looking at a subliminal negative face. So even when people are not even aware of that looking at something, so it's not something that you could be taught, not something that's learned through social learning, but something that's more instinctual biologically, the emotional area is much more impacted. So it's much more of a deeper, intense emotional experience for social interactions for females than it is for males. The serotonin system, the system that helps to regulate emotions, that's been recognized in science for over 40 years as being sexually dimorphic. So the way that the body processes and regulates emotions through serotonin is different between males and females. And there's been a number of studies out there that have found how much serotonin is available to use difference between males and females, where males have much more higher levels of serotonin, in particular in the brain, that they could use, whereas with females, they have lower levels of it for various reasons, such as slower synthesis, serotonin activity, and that re uh, results to lower levels of serotonin in the brain. And then lastly, testosterone has been used to treat depression for, for both males and females by increasing serotonin levels. So if males have, adult males have 20 times as much testosterone as what adult females do, then you can see why there are some emotional differences between males and females. And it's been consistently found that females are diagnosed with depression much more so than what males are. Your book takes more of a wide-ranging view as looking at both sort of the social, scientific, and biological interactions of these two features. How do you think that communication then occurs in these social settings? That's a good question. So one of the things I think to uh, understand is, for the most part, generally speaking, that females are superior when it comes to language abilities. As it's been found early on, that girls outperform boys with the way they read, the way they write, language abilities from an early age. There's more language and speech disorders for boys early on. And there are different biological reasons for that. So females have a larger, more active hippocampus, and that plays a role in language ability, but then also memory and relationships as well. And then also having more connections across both hemispheres for females and more overall brain activations for her. Whereas with males during social interactions, the left side of the brain is activated for language and then the right side for emotion. So it's much easier for her to expand on conversational topics, to so talk about the topic at hand, talk about previous topics, how it's related to it, and then tie into emotion as well to the conversation. Whereas with males, we're much more compartmentalized. We don't have as many connections across both hemispheres, and we don't have as much of our brain activated during social interactions as well. So we could do some of those. We could do some of those okay, but it's not nearly as easy for us to do all those at the same time. So females need to understand that during conversations, if males just talk about the topic at hand and don't tie in as much emotion or other related topics, this doesn't mean that the male isn't as interested in the topic or that we're emotionally removed. We're just not as equipped to do it. And males need to understand that when females talk about the topic at hand, previous topics and ties into emotion, it's not that she's off 
topic or that she's unrelated to what it is at hand or that she's trying to personally attack the, the other person during the conversation. It's just that makes sense to her, tying all those things together. So it's much easier for her to expand on topics and it's much more difficult for him to expand on topics during language use. As you put it earlier, with taking it more towards the view that a lot of it is biologically determined, what do you see then as the potential controversies, the debates then that can arise from this particular view of communication differences between males and females? Yeah, I can see there's some debate in terms of what's the precise variance that accounts for or about social learning, this and other. So the way that I see it is on a continuum, all these different categories, all these different social behaviors, and such as maybe language ability is on a continuum. And I haven't seen any research that has found consistently that that could be reversed through social learning or whatever else. I see the consistency that females are a little bit better with language on one end of the continuum, males not nearly as well. And you can move a little bit towards each other, a little bit farther away with the social learning, but you can't really flip the two and have males superior overall on average uh, language-wise and females not as good with language-wise through social learning, that it's going to be in place and you can only move it so much and you can't really reverse it. You need to understand it and better empathize. Where's the other person coming from and what's their abilities? Do you think on sort of a practical matter that might be a viewpoint that would be helpful in terms of addressing communication differences that might occur between genders? The frustration that might occur is, well, why can't you see it my way? It might just be there's only a limit to how far you can go one way or the other in terms of being in the other person's shoes. So one of the uh, relationship conflict dynamics that's been identified in our discipline communication studies for years, even decades, that's a demand withdrawal type of conflict. And pretty much consistently, the research has found that usually the female who's in the demanding role and the male who is in the withdrawal role. So in my chapter 18, I have labeled titled, She Demands, He Withdraws. And I think maybe you and some of the other people who are listening now can probably relate to it by seeing it play out in real life. Anyone who remotely kept up with the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial that went on that pretty much traced that type of dynamic precisely. So Amber Heard kept demanding more out of the relationship from Johnny Depp, wanting him to be more emotionally invested in it. And then he felt what he was doing was not being valued as all. So what need to, and she even said that in one of the conflicts, that every time I bring up certain types of issues, you just go out and leave. And there was one instance that was brought up in the trial as well. She had people over. He walked in for his birthday party or something like that. He didn't like something, so he just left. So what needs to be understood with that is it takes much more effort for males to process relational information. So we males may not pick up on some of the dissatisfaction in a relationship, not nearly as much as what females do, because they're much more emotionally invested in it and that males have an inferior language abilities. So we're not going to be able to express ourselves emotionally, language-wise, but through the actions of what we do. Females need to understand that, and that males need to understand when she talks about the relationship and other things that are related to it, it's not that she's personally attacking him, it's just that she's trying to bear the relationship. So some of the things that, so both 
both partners don't feel value. What he does doesn't feel value and her emotional investment and language expression doesn't feel value as well. So what has been found is that touch prior to a conflict leads to more positive types of behavior, such as hand-holding or whatever else before a discussion of a conflict. Uh, and what that does is it increases the oxytocin level, that bonding chemical. So you empathize with the other person, you bond with them much more so. And then one of the barometers, I think, of a relationship that you could just observe through visually looking at a couple is mimic behaviors that the more positive mimic behaviors non-verbally that uh, both people emulate together, then that indicates a more positive relationship. If they're doing different types of nonverbal behaviors, then that may be an indication that the relationship is not going nearly as well. What mimic behaviors do is, one, it increases oxytocin levels, that bonding chemical, but it also activates similar areas of the brain so that you empathize and understand what the other person is going through on a much deeper level as well. Do you think that there needs to be more awareness of these types of approaches, these types of methods for being able to bridge that kind of divide in terms of how genders are communicating? Yeah, so we talked about the demand withdrawal type of relationship and how she usually demands more and then he just sort of shuts down and withdraws. One reason why, because he thinks he's contributing to it and that the other reason why is just because it's not as easy to engage socially. But what needs to be understood with conflict is for her, everything's much more interconnected. So if there's stress or something that's unresolved, that's going to affect her overall much more so than with males, like we already talked about, that males are much more compartmentalized. So we could set that aside and deal with whatever we're dealing with at hand. But with her, it's just going to build and build and build and build. So with her, she needs to address the conflict much sooner than what he needs to. So probably the best approach with that is for both of them to just discuss generally, hey, there's a conflict that we need to talk about. Let's set a, a particular time and a particular day aside and address that particular conflict. So one, she feels that it's being, it will get addressed. And for him, he has time to prepare for it as well. So not necessarily just address it fully as soon as they both see each other for the first time, but not to neglect it either, but to have a, some sort of mutually agreed upon time and place to actually discuss it. Uh, sounds like good advice. Sometimes it requires a bit of organization on everybody's part to get that thing done. So I, I think with her, she wants to address much sooner than what he does. And he wants it, uh, you know, when the circumstances bear suit his needs. So there's, there's a bit of compromise that needs to be made. How do you think this perspective on communication contributes to this sort of ongoing dialogue on gender, diversity, and inclusivity? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think one of the things is that there's been a lot of consistency found with this research. So with the biological sex, there's not a lot or there's only so much that you could change and not necessarily reverse it, uh, except if you do extreme types of artificial changes, then we're not exactly sure what those long-term effects are and maybe some of those short-term ones as well. So there's a few different studies out there. One has found that those biological females who transition to male, that they increase artificially high levels of testosterone. And what that has found is that has actually decreased gray matter in the Broca's area of the brain. And that's a language area of the brain. So what has been found consistently is that testosterone hinders language ability. And that's why females tend to be superior language-wise. 
And the same thing has been found when you artificially increase the testosterone level level as well, that that decreases the language area, gray matter in that particular area. And then also what's been found when you artificially decrease testosterone levels, that that hinders spatial ability. And that's consistent with what's been found naturally as well, that testosterone helps spatial ability. So with directions, hand and eye coordination, mental object rotation, and males, this is stuff that's been found rather consistently is that males are superior when it comes to cardinal directions, the so north, south, east, and west. And females prefer more landmark types of directions. So you hear all these different types of antidotes out there, or cliches or whatever, and jokes with uh, directions. And there's actually some science behind it. And sex hormones help to contribute to that as well. So what's been found naturally tends to be consistent as well when you artificially change it as well. So how do you think this approach will reshape the traditional views on effective communication? I think one of the things that needs to be understood is that empathize with the other person. So what's their natural ability when it comes to maybe spatial ability, driving directions? So if they're if you're giving directions to someone else, try to understand, should I use cardinal directions? Am I talking to a male? Or do females, they often prefer landmark directions? Same thing with language ability. How much should you actually expect to for a male to self-disclose, uh, invoke emotion, all these other things? as well. So what types of expectations do you set forth and be realistic based upon biological sex abilities? And that training and social learning can only go so far, but what your biological sex has in place really helps and hinders different areas as well. People picking up the book, what would you like them really to take home regarding the message here of how biological sex influences gender communication? that males and females, generally speaking overall, are going to communicate differently, and they're going to understand differently, and they're going to perceive differently as well. That you shouldn't just assume that what makes sense to you is going to make sense to the other person if they are a different uh, biological sex. Such as one of the things that my favorite chapter is chapter 12, and I uh, label that as women's sixth sense. So it's been found consistently over and over that females are superior in all five senses, more sensitive to taste, touch, smell. Hearing ability is uh, related to estrogen with female, adult females having 20 times as much estrogen. They hear much better. And then also with sight, that color vision is on the X chromosome. So they also sight in terms of details and colors as well. So they're going to pick up on much more nuances and subtleties than what males are. Well, it looks like we're at a disadvantage then, so we have to work hard. <laughs> In some areas, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is really a great book, and, and fortunately we are out of time, but I'll, I will just close by saying we were just talking with Dr. Stephen Furlich, his new book, Sex Talk, How Biological Sex Influences Gender Communication Differences Throughout Life Stages. Dr. Furlich, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you very much. And the easiest way to get a hold of the book is just go on Amazon, the books category, and then just put in my last name, Furlich, F-U-R-L-I-C-H. All right. I hope certainly hope people will do that. And uh, thank you again so much for your time. Okay. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.